People always ask how I balance my family life with 400 shows a year. I'm just doing what I love with the people I love. It's my magic life. I like Wes Isley. I like everything about him. All right, the guy we have on tonight on our podcast, I first met at a magic convention. He was awesome at close-up magic, and we quickly became friends. I remember telling Natalie when I got home that I learned more from him in the hospitality suite than I did the entire three-day convention. Um, we kept in touch, and I got news he was moving to Florida, moving from Florida to Canada uh, to work his dream job. I had a morning period... Because I heard this and I thought, man, I'd never hear from him again. He's getting a real job. And soon after his move, I found out his real job, his new job. I thought, wow, if you're going to get a real job, this is okay. This is an awesome job to have. Luckily, he's still doing magic. He's still creating magic. He's very active on Instagram and TikTok. Uh, I don't want to talk about your awesome job just yet, but um, we'll save that for the end. But first, let's welcome Josh Janowski. Woo! Hey! Thank you so much. What's up, man? How are you? I I'm good. I'm 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 surviving, which which is to say a lot during this crazy time. So I'm doing good. Awesome. How about you? <laughs> uh, yeah, about the same, about the same. Except we have twins uh, at the same time, so uh, craziness. I, I I have a pet robot, so you know I I can't relate at all. I was trying. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, a robot. It has an off switch. Well, Josh, dude, I, I want to get into this new job. I'm so excited to talk to you about it because I, I don't know much about it except what I've talked to you a little bit on Facebook and stuff. But how'd you get started in magic? Let's start with your magic aspect. Oh, man. Okay, so for magic, I mean, I got into it rather late for most people because like I know most people get into magic when they're like a little kids and like I did have a trick or two growing up I, I think I had like one magic set for like my 10th birthday but I was never really like into magic and then my senior year of high school I was actually a musician before I was a magician and we had a trip to Gatlinburg Tennessee for a, a band competition and there were two level bands there was an advanced band and like a, a lower level band and I was in the advanced one and so when the lower level band was performing, the advanced band, we got to wander the city. And there was a magic shop there, and I was just obsessed. I stayed there the entire time. All my free time was spent in that store. I bought two tricks, and I was like, this is amazing. I have to learn more. And I just I become, uh, became obsessed and been doing that ever since. So. <laughs> yeah, when that bug hits, man, you can't leave that store. When the magic bug oh bites you, it's, it's intense. It was, yeah. Honestly, like I said, I spent my entire free time there, and it was just, I just was watching the, the guy behind the counter perform, and and the, the shop was so great, because uh, they, they like, I, I bought two things, and they, they took me behind the counter to, to make sure I knew how it worked, and said, if you had any questions before you guys leave, like, come back, and I did, because I totally forgot how to do something, and they're happy to sit down with me, but honestly, the, the thing that got me hooked was after I had purchased the, the tricks, I had asked the guy uh, working the counter, his name was Trey, I remember that, um, I asked him for his business card, and he just pulled one out of thin air, and that just, like, blew me away, because, like, I like to think I was a smart guy, I was like, okay, 
Like, he's not actually a wizard, but how did he know, and how did he do that? And I, I had to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> and now that, you, now that you are a wizard, you are a wizard, you know, you know that he was just holding that thing for how long? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> but at the time, I was like, how? Wow. So did you, you didn't do like kids' birthday parties and the normal route. You stayed close up magic, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I did do some kids' shows uh, just obviously when I was like sort of getting my feet, uh, like wet with all that because uh, my mom uh, growing up, she was a teacher. Um, my grandmother was a teacher. Uh, and I used to, to help out at the library. So like my very first show was actually at the library. Um, because we were friends with the librarian, and it was like, hey, do magic now, can I, can I try a show? So I did some kids' shows, but predominantly I, I do uh, close-up magic, because that's, that's what I really like doing. Uh, I, I would do it at my college campus and go around performing for people. And it's funny, because like looking back now, like I was like performing, like strolling magic at my campus, and, like filming it early on, and I realized that that's not really common with most people when they start magic. Like, no one actually goes out and shows people. Like, they just sort of spend to it just with, like, their friends and family. And I just thought that's how it was done. I was just like, oh, I have to go now perform for people. And I should film it so I could watch it back later. And then, yeah, that's just sort of how it, I got started. I really hit the ground running. I guess I was making up for the fact that I started at 18 as opposed to, like, five-year-old, like everyone else. So I was just playing cat stuff. <laughs> but you were also, like, really looking up to David Blaine's style of magic. That's that's who you followed behind, right? Didn't you like him a lot? Yeah, oh, I'm, I'm a huge David Blaine fan. Um, when, when I was first getting into magic, guys like Wayne Houchin and Danny Garcia were a lot of the, the videos I would watch. Uh, but actually, the magician who got me, like, really interested in magic was Justin Woolman. Uh, he was still going by Just Incredible at right. the time, so, so that's how uh, long ago it was. But yeah, he was actually the magician that got me really into magic because it was his appearances on the Rachel Ray show. And like up till then, obviously, I'd been watching a lot of like the David Blaine kind of stuff. And even though everyone who knows Danny Garcia knows he's a hilarious guy, like I was watching some of his earlier things with Illusionist, where he was still like kind of like serious and cool looking and so for me i just didn't really realize that like people were actually like personable and having fun when they would perform and it, i didn't have to be this dark brooding uh personality so yeah when i saw that i was like oh my god that that guy's really cool i, w- I want to be like that i want to do magic like that and yeah it took from from that got me really into it and then finding other people like jay sankey and and gregory wilson and then Obviously, still being a huge fan of David Blaine, and then finding out like the people who like worked for him and, and helped make him who he is, like Garrett Thomas. So all of that has sort of inspired me and got me to where I am today. Well, I can I can see a lot of those names when after you say that I'm like, yeah, I can see influence from those guys. I mean, uh, you. how how. You're so prolific on Instagram. I was trying to keep up, but having a family and. Not trying to keep up, but I mean trying to do one a week at least or something. But man, it's just so much, man. Do you, how how often do you post? How often do you post magic on Instagram? I try to to get like two posts a week, 
posts a month if, if I'm able to. The, the thing is, like, I found for a while, I tried to post every single week. I, I really tried to do that. And I realized that the, the real secret to at least making good content that, like, I'm happy with is I post when I have something that I want to post. Like, I'm not going to force myself to make uh, a video just for the fact that I haven't done a video in a while. Right. Uh, so I, I try to have some sort of regularity. Like, most of the time, I'll post on a Saturday at, like, 1 p.m. So that way, like, if there are people who like my stuff, they kind of know when it's going to show up. But uh, it, it's tough. I mean, I have friends who, who post every single day, and I'm blown away. I could not do that, but I give them so much respect. Uh, but, yeah, for me, I, I try to just post semi-regularly. Uh, I try to post good stuff. And also, I'll, often, I'll film a lot of stuff at the same time. So that way I have, like, footage that I can go ahead and share later. So it's actually it's funny. If you go through my posts, sometimes you can tell uh, when I have filmed right, a couple right. of tricks in the same day because you can tell that I'm wearing the same things. So. Well, and also, I mean, you, you want it to be good material. You know, these TikTokers nowadays do the same dance or the same post like 12 times, and they might change one little nuance. We wouldn't do a card trick and change, you know, an ace of spades changing to a queen of diamonds and then do a two of spades changing to the queen of diamonds and do 15 posts in a row of the same trick. Exactly. Those type yeah, of things drive me crazy. Cards, obviously. Right. You have to first do it with a red deck and then you have to do it with a blue deck. That makes it totally different. <laughs> no. Yeah. But, I mean, that's what a lot of people are doing nowadays and I, I can't yeah. do that. I, I, I don't see why. It's like they're just doing it just to post. Just to, I have more posts than you do. Agreed. Yeah. No, that's why I at least make sure that like when I post something, it's because like I I believe in what I'm posting. And, like I, I feel like this is a, a cool thing. It's something I've been working on. Because um, the other thing is also you'll notice with my posts, I either post my own original stuff or my takes on other people's stuff. Like you'll rarely see me actually perform something exactly as it is uh, with how it was released. So I always like making sure that I'm putting my own spin on it if it's not something of my own creation, just because I feel like that's the reason why people follow me. Right. Otherwise, you could follow anyone else. Like clearly, if, if you're following me, it's for a reason, and it's because you like how my weird brain thinks. So I want to make sure that you get to see how my weird brain thinks rather than just doing it exactly the same way as every other person. So, All right, so your weird brain, you, you, find a, you find a magic shop in Gatlinburg. You immediately go back and start filming yourself doing magic and doing street magic right away, and you only have an arsenal of four tricks at that point. Um, I, 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 I did have, uh, what was it, On the Spot uh, by Greg Wilson and Anytime okay. Anywhere. Okay, okay, there so, you go. So between those, I, I did have a, a fair amount of <laughs> They're so, both very prolific uh, creators and have a lot of material to choose from. But how long before you got your restaurant gig? Oh, man. I mean, so the restaurant gig actually happened a couple of years. I want to say like two or three years before I moved to Canada. Um, and so basically what had been happening is like I, I would do uh, gigs um, and like some uh, like conventions or parties every now and then. But then I had graduated college, I had finished um, my online animation programs that I was doing, and I was like, okay, I, I, I want to be an animator, I, I need to work on my demo reel, but I also need to make 
money and like have a, a living. So I, I got into the, the restaurant magic. Um, I'm, I'm very lucky that I have a, a lot of friends who had done restaurant magic, so I was able sort of to, to pick their brain. And I, I got a gig uh, doing uh, close-up magic at an Applebee's. Uh, so I would perform there every weekend. And it was great, honestly. Like I, I definitely appreciate my time there because I got so much better as a performer um, just performing all the time. Like, and, and I'm sure anyone who is a performer, they know that the more that they perform, the better they get. But like, it was a huge difference I found when I was working at the restaurant just because even though I was used to strolling magic and I was used to, to like random street magic kind of stuff, I was doing multiple tables a night. And so I had to figure out, okay, like I need to have stuff that resets quickly. I need to figure out my pocket management a little bit better. Uh, I need to really nail down like what things I'm doing so that way I can do them without thinking because I'm, I'm going to be going from table to table and I, I need to make sure that like I'm focusing on the important things like paying attention to, to how far behind the food is if I need to, to stall uh, for the servers or something. So it really, really got me uh, to sort of get to the precise science of what was needed to perform. And I loved it too because one thing about me is when it comes to performing, I'm very much a... I guess I would say I'm a very much a jazz uh, magician in the sense that like I feed off of what my audience is and based off their reaction, I'll go into another trick based off of that. And I loved it. It, it was great with practicing improv, with coming up lines and, and jokes and quips. Uh, so yeah, it was it was interesting. I, I didn't think I would ever be doing restaurant magic, but I'm incredibly glad that I did because I feel like it made me such a better magician than I was before. And I, it wouldn't have happened if I, I didn't uh, get that job. Well, a lot of people in Magic poo-poo restaurant gigs because it's, you know, the, the pay usually isn't that great. And, you know, you end up doing kids' night or they send you to the kids' tables or whatever. But, I mean, you can make it however you want it to be. You can only work bars. You can work behind the bar. There's so many different avenues. But, like you exactly. said, it's, it's those reps, man. You get a brand yes. new trick, and you get to try it out 30 different times and critique your pattern, critique your handling, <laughs> and you get to you don't have to wait three weeks for your next gig of close-up magic to do that. You can you do it 15 times, 30 times in a night. Definitely. And, and as a creator of magic who releases products, like that was great because it really let me protest the stuff that I was putting out. And that's one thing I really do pride myself on is anything that I put out, like I know it actually works. It's not just going to like look good on camera. Like it's something you can actually go out and perform and, and being able to road test so many things at the restaurant helps so much. And even the restaurant I was performing at, like the, the location was really unique because it was the Applebee's right next to the college I went to, uh, UCF, which is like the largest university in the United States. So like the majority of the people coming in to the restaurant were at at a certain point, like around nine o'clock, they were pretty much all drunk college kids. So like, I was like not necessarily always performing for for families and kids. Right. I also was getting the these group of college kids who, who were freaking out, and then also it got me really good uh, with dealing with hecklers. So I actually enjoy hecklers because uh, I I am a very respectful uh, person. Uh, but I have a very snarky sense of humor that I don't always get to share. And whenever I do have a heckler, I am able to sort of use that to my advantage. So it was actually great because, I mean, when, when you've dealt with enough 
drunk college students. You can pretty much handle anything. I found. Which is awesome because that's that's audience management right there. So you're learning pocket management, audience management. You're learning the restaurant business, whether you whether you know it or not, or like it or not. I mean, exactly. I mean, yeah. you're, you're no, learning I, so much. Yeah. So much, yeah. I mean, and honestly, it was great because I so I did my Penguin lecture um, a couple of years ago, and I did it on Restaurant Magic, and it was because of those experiences that I actually felt qualified that I could talk about my experience as a restaurant magician, um, just because I again it was sort of kind of like how I started. And magic, and I just like immediately went into street magic. I feel like with my time in the restaurant, the those maybe two two and a half years of me performing there were like ten years condensed into two. So it definitely was a lot that went into it, and and made me feel much more confident with just everything in general. How many nights a week were you working there? I was doing two to three, depending on um, what was going on, just because obviously. With it being a college town, we had to factor in uh, the, the football season and stuff like that. And, and people obviously come to, to the restaurant to watch the game. They're not going to want to watch a magician. So right, right, sort of right. very depending on what time of the year. Wow. All right. So now with um, you brought out tricks on your own. You created tricks for magicians all over the world. You brought out stuff on your own or did you collaborate with other people? Uh, both. So I, I've, so far I've had one actual like collaboration release, um, which was a trick called Withdrawal that I did with my best friend Jeff Grace. Um, but everything else has all been sort of solo releases in the sense that I was the magician behind it. Um, I've worked with a bunch of different magic companies, which has been great because uh, each company works a little bit differently. So it's been cool getting the, the multiple experiences. Um, and yeah, that's, that's basically... That's basically it. So, and then of course, I've had a, a few things that I've done uh, just by myself, which has also been a learning experience. Because when you're used to working with a huge company and then you're working by yourself, you really have to like figure out what exactly you're going to do. So, so right before this interview today, you told me that um, if I signed up something, you had some new product. What is what is the new release that you're you're pitching right now? Tell me about that. Yes. So I actually have a couple of different things coming out this year, uh, but the one that's going to be coming out the soonest, I don't know the exact date yet, so I can't give you too many details, but I have a wallet uh, that is coming out, and I am incredibly excited. I've been working on this for the past couple of years. It is. It has been my everyday wallet. Uh, I worked really hard on making sure that this was a, a practical wallet that you could use as your actual wallet, but also has a bunch of magical features, which will remain uh, nameless for the time being because I want to wait till the, the actual trailer comes out to oh man well I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> you got me all excited magicians and wallets if you don't know I mean I probably have 75 different leather black leather wallets upstairs and then yeah. probably about well because I sell fire wallets as well but I have about 15 uh, fire wallets as well of my own. Not only the ones we sell. We, I, exactly. yeah, magicians love wallets. So I'm, I'm waiting no to see you what that. yours was. <laughs> no one tells you that when you get into magic, that by the way, you are going to like purchase a bunch of wallets. Like, yeah. I think yeah. before I got into magic, I had maybe like three wallets like, <laughs> in my entire lifetime. And now I have like 
like a box full of them, and that's not even counting like my own wallet now with samples and everything. So. <laughs> but I can tell you the name. I can, I can I can give you that much. So it is called the Hermes Wallet, um, and it, it was it was created by me. I, I'm working with uh, the company Quiver, um, who are, are well known for obviously their, their leather work. They, mm-hmm. they did the the Quiver uh, Quiver uh, little right. uh, wallet. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm so excited. This is, this has been my baby for the past couple of years. And then it's, it's finally ready to go off to college. I don't, I don't know. I kind of mixed my analogy there. <laughs> well, when you, when you release it, send me the link and I'll be sure to share it on Twitter and, and let everybody know about it as well. For sure. I will definitely do that. I appreciate it. But, um. Was was Play Doh the the one with the uh, dollar bill with the drawings and then it turns into real money? Was that Play Doh? No, no. So yeah. So for those who don't know, I do a lot of money magic. So I I'm impressed that you you're able to to at least get some of the the names and effects because I even forget sometimes. Uh, the counterfeit is the one that you're talking counterfeit, about. Counterfeit. Yeah, I did it. Uh, I did an Instagram video with that. One of the first tricks that I came up with. That was something I I think. I'm trying to think. I got into magic in 2009, and I think I came up with that in 2010. Wow. So I started working on that. Um, so, yeah, so that was counterfeit. Play-Doh is uh, my impromptu handling of a pen uh, through dollar, and I, I taught that for the first time on my at-the-table lecture, if I remember. Okay. Yeah. So... Um... What is the what is the bills with the celebrity ending? That's all I want to say because I don't know the title of it. But I used to use that in restaurants. <laughs> I used to use that in restaurants a lot. Thank you. Yeah, that actually that one unfortunately is is sold out. Uh, so that was an effect called impeached. I did it with my buddies Jeff Taylor and Anton James at the Magic State. Uh, they used to live in Florida. I, I right. met them uh, through a, another one of my best friends, Sean Cinco. Um, who major shout out to him because because of me meeting him is sort of what got the the ball rolling uh, to get me with working with other companies because he introduced me to Jeff and Anton. Um, I did a project with them, which got me into uh, contact with Murphy's and, and Vanishing Inc. And it just sort of all exploded uh, from there. But yeah, that one was impeached. But like I said, unfortunately, it is, it is no longer uh, for sale. So that's a collector's item that well, you have your hands on. <laughs> I used it a lot, man. And the cool thing was, you could trade out the celebrity, so you could you could do it several different tables side by side, and you could trade it out. So exactly, exactly, yeah. And again, that was something that I used in the in the restaurant all the time. So I, 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 at least you know that if you're getting something from me, that it it has been like performed, and it's not just a weird idea that I had that I was like, perfect, let's sell it to people for money. It's like, no, I want to make sure if my name is on it, like. I'm happy with it because even though I come up with my own magic, I also buy magic too. And I understand how annoying it can be as, as a customer where you buy a trick and it does not do what you were promised. Or well, and they say they've been working right. on it for 10 years of development and we've been performing it thousands of times. It was like, no, you'd have worked exactly. at that kink in day two. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I want to make sure that if my name is attached to something, you know that like, it, it's done. You you can do it. It's going to work. You're not going to have a buyer's regret and go, oh man, I didn't realize I was actually buying 50 feet of invisible thread, a scrunchie, and two chihuahuas. 
like you know you know it's going to be something practical that you can actually use well, when I go to the magic conventions, I'm taking pictures of everybody and trying to with the MAES Magicians Alliance of Eastern States. I'm like yes. their their photographer, so I run their Instagram account for them, and I try to do videos and things. And it was so loud in that room that I took you into the little vestibule to the bathroom from the hospitality suite to the closet, and we filmed a video. And the guys still make fun of me for taking men into the closet to film videos. <laughs> <laughs> Watch the Instagram; it'll totally make sense. But I still remember that. Oh no, that that was so much fun. But you that did was, you did a phone to playing cards? Is that what the switch was? What was the what was the I, trick? I did a phone. Yeah, I did phone to bills, which actually phone to bills be coming out uh, this year. So that is, is that your other release? I, that is one of them. Yeah, I think I have. Assuming everything works out. Uh, We'll, we'll see, just considering the, the, the world has been a little bit crazy. But I should have, hopefully, like five uh, different projects coming out this year, and that would be one of them. So when did I first meet you? Like four years ago, five years? So this has definitely been in development for five years. I mean, because yes. yeah, that well, was a prototype I filmed. Yeah, exactly, that was the prototype, and I think I had been working on it for maybe a year and a half before that convention. So this has been in the works for a while. So it's also probably one of my most requested uh, products because there's a, a performance I did on Chris Ramsey, his YouTube channel at Magic Fest the year that I did a, a lecture, and probably like every week I get at least one message from someone being like, "Hey, can I buy this? Is this out yet?" So it's coming out. It, it's going to happen. It's in. It's in the works. It should be out this year. Uh, everything hopefully so we have magicians and non-magician listeners to the podcast and we're now we now have listeners in 18 different countries dude it's pretty awesome oh wow but i'm gonna talk code to you but the magicians will understand okay. is it updatable or is it standalone this is what you get with I'm your with your yes to both with the the way it's designed and and this is something that i explained you yes you can keep on using it okay um, and then also even with the presentation you're totally fine yeah so. okay okay well i mean just phones change so much i think anybody will understand I, yeah. that i mean phones just oh, exactly every every 11 months it's not, they don't even wait a year anymore so yeah all right yeah, actually ironically enough normally phones updating can sort of be like the death to a trick um, right but there's a change that was made a couple of years ago that has actually now prolonged uh, the life of this effect, which has been great for me. Because um, so, normally it's the other way around, and I've had tricks that there's a feature of a phone that you're like, oh, they'll never get rid of the volume button or something crazy right. like that, and then they do. So thankfully like, this is one of the rare instances where it actually worked in my favor as opposed to against Are the, the the hole in the back will always be this size for the for the camera, and then they add three cameras to the phone, and then make exactly. it... Yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> All right. Or even they change, like, the location of the Apple on the back of, like, an iPhone. Like, it's like... Yeah. You get used to one way, and then they're just like, ah, oh, surprise, I got you. So... <laughs> Well, dude, I, I can't wait. Please let me know when you have your new releases. You're part of this family now with the podcast and everything. And as soon as you come out with something, let me know and I'll send it out and let everybody know. Um, Thanks, man. I appreciate it. For sure. I don't know if there's anything else magic you want to talk about, but I think it's time to, if people don't know who you are and know about you and follow you already, it's time to uh, start talking about this uh, journey you went on. You can uh, maybe tell Natalie 
how you applied for the job and what happened there? So yeah, so it's actually it's a, a really funny story. Um, I like to say that I got this job, I applied by accident because I didn't realize I applied. Um, so basically, how do you like, do like, that? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, let me explain. So uh, I, I mentioned obviously I, I did school for animation. Um, I wanted to be an animator since I was five years old, and I found out like people got paid to like draw cartoons and make movies and play with toys. I'm like, that's the best job ever. Why why do not more people do that? So mm-hmm. I went to school for animation. And then in 2017, I went to a, a convention in California um, called CTN. And it's this massive animation convention that they have every year. And I went out and I actually stayed extra in the convention, like with my time in California, rather. I think the convention was like for like four days and I stayed there for like a week and a half and I specifically was like alright I'm going to this convention I'm, I'm going to get a job and I'm staying longer in California because I'm going to be moving to California so I'm going to need to have time to start looking for apartments and that was my thought process um, spoiler alert I did not go to California I went to Canada instead but basically what happened was I, I go with my friend Maria um, and we're going around to each of the different booths because you're able to show your demo reel and you can get feedback. And we're going to booth to booth, and then we head over to ILM, who are responsible for like Star Wars and all those amazing films. And we actually go to their booth because they're giving away Star Wars posters. Uh, and I am a massive Star Wars fan. But they are out of posters for the day, so uh, instead we get our reels review. And so I had mine, mine looked at first, I get my feedback, and then it's my friend Maria's turn. And so I stand to the side of ILM because I don't want to look like I'm still in line because I don't want people to, like, stand behind me. And then it's, like, that whole awkward thing where it's like, oh, no, the line's over there. So I'm like, all right, I'll stand at the booth next to her so that way, like, we can still go around the convention. Um, and I'm at this booth for NPC because apparently at this convention, if your, your studio has three letters in its name, they make you sit together. Um, or at least that's why I'm assuming they were next to each other. Wow. But, um, so NBC is there, and I'm looking at the, the table because they have, like, some free swag. And I'm curious what it is, but, like, I don't want to be that person who just comes to the table for the free stuff and walks away. And so, like, I'm, I'm looking, I'm trying to figure out what the studio is because, like, I didn't really know much about any visual effects studios except for ILM. And the person who's sitting at the booth, she's like, oh, are you an animator? And I say that I am, and I ask if, if she's doing portfolio reviews. And she says yes, so I, I show her my reel. And she watches, like, the first five seconds, and then she stops the video. And so I'm expecting at this point she's going to say, hey, this is, like, not what we're looking for. Because that's some pretty common that, like, if you have something in your reel and it just doesn't match up with the studio, they'll normally let you know so that way they can like, tell you, like, hey, if you're looking to apply, like, this is what you need. If you're just looking for feedback, I'll give you feedback. So, like, I'm, I'm totally prepared for her to tell me, like, oh, it's not what we want. And instead, she's like, oh, can I have your email? Can you send me this? I'm like, oh, okay. So I, I sent her an email, and she asked, would you be comfortable with uh, relocating to Montreal? And I said, yeah, I'm sure, Canada sounds cool. And then that was it. And, like, I go along with the rest of the convention, and I just think that, oh, she wanted, like, my contact information. So that way, like, in the future, when they're hiring like, they'll call me up and be like, hey, like, would you like to apply? That's what I'm expecting. And so I finish up the convention, and I, I go back home. And then about a month later, I get an email, and it says, your application has been accepted. Your interview uh, is going to be scheduled for three days from now. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what application? Like, I, I don't remember applying. I feel like I would have remembered that. Mm-hmm. 
And apparently, I, I did. Uh, so I guess he, he clearly likes my reel enough to, to be like, all right, let's, he, he's approved. Let's give him an interview. And so then I spent the next, like, three days scrambling, trying to, like, find any information I could about the company, find anyone who might be working there that like, I have a mutual connection with. I'm talking to a friend of mine who had just got hired at Sony. I'm like, what was your interview like? And, like, I'm, I'm getting so prepared. So, like, I have my laptop with me. I like, made up a, an entire document because this is, like, my first, like, job in the industry that, like, I want to work in. And so I want to make sure I'm prepared. And so I have the documents, and I'm like, where do I see myself in five years? What was my favorite film that the studio worked on? Like, I was prepared. I, I researched the heck out of it. And so my phone rings, and it's the, the head of animation. It was, hi, this is Omar. Is this Josh? And I say, yes. He's like, all right, we want to offer you a job. Um, I don't know when you'll start. I don't know what film you're going to be on, but I'll see you in Montreal. And, like, that was the entire interview. And I was wow. just stunned because, like, I was prepared to be like, my strengths and weaknesses. Like, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> those questions. And, and the entire thing, I think the entire call was maybe like two and a half minutes long. Um, and then next thing I knew, I was like, I'm moving to Canada. I need to get my passport because like, I didn't even have one at that point because I had lived my entire life in Florida. And so suddenly I needed a passport. I was moving not just out of the, the state, but to a different country. It was going to be my first uh, like major job. I'm going to be living for the first time not by my family because at this point I always either lived at home or 15 minutes from home. And now I'm moving to a country where I don't know anyone. Uh, yeah, it was a whole bunch of firsts, but that's that's how I got here. And actually, last Friday was my New Year anniversary at the company, so I've been, I've been here for the past three years. So, sorry, we have the babies in here now. You might hear them squeaking a little bit. Six months old, man. My, my nine-year-old can only take care of him so much. Sorry, man. But I can't, I, can't, I can't make my daughter babysit him. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Uh, you've been there three years. Is it all French-speaking, English-speaking? Have you learned French yet? So, so yeah, so I'm in Quebec, uh, which is the French part of Canada. And I was very nervous about that because I don't speak any French uh, when I moved here and the, the only language that I knew besides English was sign language and I was like that's not going to help me when everyone's talking French but thankfully um, I, I've been able to get by without knowing any French however I have started to learn um, I've been doing my Duolingo every day just because I figure I've been here long enough if I don't learn anything in French like that's just embarrassing so uh, but I've been I've been learning but it was definitely a culture shock coming here because like obviously Canada is a different country but like growing up in the U.S. you always like think of like Canada as like the U.S. like attic like it's still part of the U.S. it's just lighter like that's what you think but like Montreal is very European and then because people speak in French and it, it's a, it was a total like shock to my system and then on top of that in um, Canada in, in, in Quebec something that people don't really know is all of the signs are in French, and if anything is in English, the French version has to be twice the size. So, like, I'll, I went to the, the supermarket, and I'm trying to, like, look for things, and all the signs are in French, and then, like, every now and then I would see something in English, but it's, like, I really had to, like, squint to look for it. So it was a, a, an adjustment for sure. Uh, and it was actually even funny because a couple years ago I did um, – the Atlanta Harvest uh, Magic Convention. Where is and that at? It was 
Atlanta. <laughs> I thought you said Atlantic. Sorry, sorry. No, no, no. Atlanta. Sorry, Atlanta. Um, Harvest the Magic. Um, so I, I did that convention, and it was funny because it was the first time I had been back in the U.S. when I wasn't visiting family. Because normally I, I would go and to uh, see my parents and stuff. And so this was the first time I had been back in the U.S. when I wasn't doing that. And I remember I went to a restaurant, and out of habit, I swept over the menu because I was expecting to see English on the back. Because normally you get the menu, and it's in French on one side wow. and English on the other side. So like just out of habit, I was flipping it, and I was confused when I was staring at the back of a blank menu. And I went, oh, wait, I'm in, I can speak English again. Hold on. <laughs> it's over. It's, there's nothing I need to translate anything. So, but... Yeah, it was it was an adjustment for sure, but um, I, I've made it uh, this far uh, without speaking any, and at least now I can read it. So baby steps, we're getting there. So. Now, do your do your coworkers speak fluent English, or they speak broken English, or how does that work? So one thing that is really cool is uh, the company I work at, and, and most of the, the uh, animation places here are very international. So like, I remember on my very first day at the company, um, I started with a girl who is Polish but lived in Spain, um, a, a girl who is South Korean but lived in Peru, and then uh, a guy from Singapore. Um, and we all started on the same day, and I remember the first time I went into the, um, like the lunch area, um, it, it felt like I entered like the United Nations because there were so many different languages being spoken, uh, but the company as a whole, it's all of the official things are in English, so all of our meetings are in English and, and like that, uh, but we also then get a copy of things in French, so like whenever I get an email, there's always two emails, because there's the French email and there's the English email, but thankfully all of the, the meetings and, and feedback are in English, so I didn't have to struggle. So how does that, how does that work? Is it just duplicated in the same email, or do you literally get two emails? It depends. Sometimes you get one email with both, and it'll be like French at the top, and you scroll down, and it's English. Other times you'll get two emails, and it'll say like English email to follow or French email to follow. So wow. it really sort of depends, I guess, on who's the person sending the email. If they want to send two, or if they just want to send one. So Man, sort of that is a that. that is a culture shock. And oh, what yeah, it, it's two two it months prep. So, yeah, I mean. Uh, <laughs> Honestly, like I showed up and I think, I think I left maybe like a month and a half after I found out that I got the job. So less than two months. Golly. Uh, and then showing up and then suddenly just boom in the middle of, of another country. Because again, even though it was Canada, like I was expecting like everything to be in English and, and it just feels like America again. But no, it was literally, I felt like I was thrown across the world. Uh, to the other side of, of the planet, like it was a huge, huge change that we begin with. But so now, it, now comfortable here. So, it sounds like you did more uh, research for a job application that didn't exist than you did for your move to go to Canada. You didn't. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't realize everything was in French. Well, the thing was, unfortunately, all the people I knew in Canada were like in Vancouver. Which is not the, the French part of Canada. So, like, I was asking them questions. You're like, oh, okay, like, what's like the exchange rate like? And like, I was asking someone I, I did meet who ended up working at the company. Like, I was asking her like questions, like, okay, like, what like grocery store do I go to? Because like, I'm used to these grocery stores in the U.S., but like, 
I know they don't exist in Canada. So like, those were the questions I was asking. I didn't even think of, oh, by the way, like everything's going to be in French. And like, I knew it was a possibility. Like I knew that uh, Montreal was bilingual, but like, I was like, oh, okay, well at least like I'll have my phone. Like I can use that to translate. Um, I'm sure people will speak English there. So it was definitely a surprise, but now I'm, I'm used to it and I know what to expect and I'm not really surprised if like I show up someplace and I'm greeted in French right away. Well, so. I was telling Natalie that you worked for Marvel, you worked for Disney, but what is the company you work for? I was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the company is, is called MPC. Uh, it's short for the Moving Picture Company. Um, and yeah, so we are a VFX studio which means that we are hired by different studios like Disney, like Warner Brothers um, and Universal, etc. And so whenever you go to see a movie, uh, if you stay for the credits, which I strongly suggest people do because there's a lot of people who work on these films, uh, but if you stay in the credits, you'll normally see under visual effects. It will be anywhere from like three to like five different companies that work on these films, especially depending on the size of the film. There could be even more. And so my company is one of the ones that gets hired uh, by these other studios to, to work on, on their movies. And in three years, you've worked on a bunch of movies. The first yeah. day you showed up to work, though, you were working on, was it Godzilla? So actually, again, uh, another funny thing is when I showed up on my first day, I was told that I was going to be working on, um, what was it, The Nutcracker. I was told I was going to be working on The Nutcracker because that's what my contract had said. And the other three people who were starting with me, they were also working on the Nutcracker. And I remember the head of the studio and the department manager, sorry, the head of the department um, and the department manager were sort of giving us the tour. And, and the, the head of the department, he goes like, oh, like, what film are you working on? And asks each of us. And, and the first three all say that they're working on uh, the Nutcracker. And then he gets me and I start to say the Nutcracker. And my department manager goes, actually, um, we don't know what you're working on just yet. So, like, for my first week, I didn't even know what film I was going to be on. And I, it was, like, I was so nervous because I'm, I'm watching everyone else working on their films. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to be on. Uh, and then, yeah, eventually, um, I, I first started off on Noel. Then I worked on Godzilla. Um, then I worked on Predator. I, I bounced around from a, from a bunch of different shows because that's also something I didn't really expect is I thought like when you work on a movie, like you work on that movie from start to finish. I didn't realize that it's really common that you will work on one film and then you are needed elsewhere. So they have you work on another movie and then you might actually come back to the one that you were previously working on. So most people don't tend to uh, work on as many films as I have. Um, I've definitely been uh, an anomaly. I, I remember one time uh, someone was saying, oh, after like three years, you'll have like six films under your belt. And I had six and I was think maybe like eight months in. So uh, I definitely bounced around a little bit more than normal. But it's been cool because I've gotten to work on uh, a bunch of different projects because of that. All right. So what's the rundown? Do you have the list in front of you? I do. Well, actually, I have the posters uh, above me because like, one thing that we always do is when we finish the film, uh, we, we get a poster printed up for, for people and we all sign it. Uh, so I have worked on, uh, I worked on The Predator. I worked on Detective Pikachu. I worked on Noel. I worked on Godzilla. I worked on Shazam. I worked on Dr. Doodle. I worked on Artemis Fowl. 
Um, and then I also worked on uh, the marketing uh, trailers for Sonic the Hedgehog as well, which was a lot of fun. And that's what's so cool on, on Facebook. I mean, you're doing magic, but you're also making props and you're talking about the movies and you're showing the posters. And if people aren't following you, they need to follow you. If they like pop culture and they like magic, I mean, you're the dude to follow. It's it's so fun. <laughs> Thank, you. Um, Thank you. I appreciate that. Do you... Do you go back and want it for your own record? Do you try to like pause right where the part that you worked on and just take a little screenshot for yourself? Put that in your back pocket, oh, put that in your, or not really? You know what, it, it sort of depends. Like I remember when the final trailer for The Predator came out. I remember you I were really like, proud of The Predator. Yeah, that's why. Oh, I was so excited, yeah. Because I, I had in the final trailer, I had three shots in there and one of them was like my favorite shot that I worked on and so I remember I must have watched that trailer like 20 times I, I searched and I found some, there was a gif already of like one of my shots which was so cool um, so yeah I mean I, that was awesome and the very first time like I saw anything again it, it was The Predator was the first movie that I had worked on that came out in theaters uh, and it was just such a cool experience like to be in the theater and be like oh my god that's my shot and I even actually remember there was one time I was on an airplane. Um, I, I, I don't remember where I was flying from, I, um, but I was on the airplane and I was just going through looking at what films were on there and I saw that The Predator was on it. And so I, I, I turned it on and I fast forwarded to my scene, like it took a little picture and then I fast forward to the credits and took a picture as well. And I remember the person next to me was like confused. And then she's looking at me, and I explained how I worked on it. And she's like, oh, I just thought you were, like, a really big fan of that movie or something. <laughs> but I was like, no, I, I worked on it. I, was, I, I wanted to show my, my family the shots that I worked on. So. <laughs> that is so awesome, man. Yeah. What about, what about uh, Shazam? Did you, did you work – you did a lot on that one or a little bit or bounced yeah, around? Yeah, so, I, so the, the one thing uh, about working in film, regardless of, like, what department you're in, is you have to, to get used to the fact that you'll just sometimes you'll work on really cool stuff that no one will ever see. Uh, so I, I worked on Shazam. Unfortunately, some of the really fun shots I did got cut from oh. the film. Uh, I know, it, it was the worst. Uh, actually, the funny thing about that is when the, uh, the Blu-ray version of Shazam came out, they advertised that it came with like an hour of deleted scenes. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, maybe one of my shots is in there. They advertised that just to get you to buy that Blu-ray. Exactly. So I went <laughs> to, to Best Buy. Oh, it gets better. I went to Best Buy. I bought the Blu-ray. I also bought a Blu-ray player, but I had to buy a special one because I needed one that could connect to my computer. So that way, like, if my shots were there, I could actually, like, put the shots onto my computer. So I bought the Blu-ray player. I bought the Blu-ray. I came home. I, I pop in the disc. I'm, I'm going through. I get to... Uh, the deleted scenes, I'm watching through, and then they switched to the next deleted scene right before my shot. And I was like, ah, oh, just no one's ever going to see this shot again. <laughs> it, it, it was so funny. I mean, at the time, obviously, I was bummed, but like looking back, I, I was just laughing so much because I went through all that work. And I'm like, well, you know what? At least I know what happened in that shot. That was a lot of fun. But for me, it was just really exciting to be a part of that film. Because I am a massive comic book fan. I, I love the character Shazam, uh, the original Captain Marvel. Um, and like it, it was so cool to work on that project. And for me, 
it was like I love DC Comics. They are my absolute favorite comics. Like I will choose the comics over Marvel comics any day of the week. But I feel like Marvel has done better films, and so I feel like Shazam was like the first DC film in a while that was like, oh, this this was awesome. This was a lot of fun. This is what DC Comics is. So to be able to have worked on that was really really cool, and it's probably one of uh, one of my favorites. I just got to work on in general. Uh, because of, of how big of a, a nerd I am. Because I, I remember I was sitting at, in the office and I was right next to the team uh, that was working on Shazam. This was before I was on it. And I remember like looking behind them and like going, oh, that character's in this movie? Oh my God, they're showing off that character? Like I was just freaking out just as a fan. So then to work on it was really, really exciting. Well, I'm I'm loving it that you're on my on on Team DC because everybody's yes. Team Marvel. I own every Marvel release. I've bought every DVD. I've I've paid my respects. I love the movies, but I'm a huge DC fan. I'm more of a DC fan, and daggone it, it kills me. I keep trying to watch the Superman movies over and over, but they don't get any better. But I watch them over <laughs> and over. Exactly. That. I I mean I I understand that. I feel like <laughs> in terms of the comics and the characters. I will choose DC any day of the week, and I just feel like. The films, unfortunately, just they haven't done the characters justice the ways that the Marvel films have been. So I'm I'm hoping that one day DC will will realize, wait a second, we have such amazing characters and stories, we should focus on that rather than like let's make everything dark and slow motion. <laughs> so hopefully we'll we'll get there uh, eventually. But that's why I liked working on Shazam because I feel like it was like the first time in the new DC universe that they had a film that like yes there were some dark and scary moments but like there was also a lot of really funny moments because it, it's the character shazam right you, you, you can't not have funny moments he's literally a kid in an adult's body so like you have to have the big reference you have to do some of this stuff so and it was a wow. great family movie man my, my wife and i loved it and my daughter watched it on a loop man it was, it was just perfect yes. it was great um, exactly. I want to ask you about the Snyder Cut, but I'm big into taking pictures, and you know, I was here, and this is my memento from that. And this is you don't take any pictures while you're at work, though. You have to wait for everything oh, to release. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I could not. I, like, just because of the fact that we're working on different films, right? Right. There, there's NDAs, so no, I, I never would would dream of doing something like that. Lots Cra of mental pictures. Crazy uh, secrecy no. agreements. Yeah. Yeah, but, but no physical souvenirs until it's actually out in theaters, and then that's when we can, like, get a poster and, and, and have people sign kind of deal. You have to, to wait till everything's out officially. You can't do anything beforehand. <laughs> that's how people get in trouble and lose their career, and I'm very happy with mine, so I don't want that to ever happen. <laughs> no, but, I mean, it's, it's you know, you, you, you could spend a month on a scene and it get deleted, and it was just... Exactly. Oh my gosh! Right. Exactly. Yeah. No. There. I, one of the supervisors I worked with, he talked about how he has an entire demo reel that he can only show people in the studio because it's all shots that have been cut from films, so they can't go anywhere outside of the studio. So he can show people he works with, but that's it. No one outside will ever be able to see that stuff. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, you said you did uh, marketing for Sonic the Hedgehog, so. My my background was I wanted to do movie magic. I wanted to do hands-on movie magic, man. But Terminator 2 came out when I was in high school, and it just ruined everything because I cannot sit at a desk. I cannot do your job. I can't do CGI and sit at a desk for 80 hours a week. 
I have ADD. I got to keep moving. I, I got to move from subject to subject. So that's why I went all magic, magic. You did this other thing. How, how is it? Yeah, I mean, it, so I, I really like it. Basically, like all the departments in, in an animated film are, are really interesting to me. But the one that like I love, obviously, is animation. I feel like it's the most fun. And yes, like you, you can work on three seconds of animation for like two weeks. And it's only, like I said, three seconds worth of animation. But like I love it. It's the fact that I get to bring characters to life. And also, being an animator, you have to be an actor as well. So like you get up and you film your own reference and, and you have to act things out. And I love doing that. I actually, wow. uh, one, of my, one of my favorite stories involving that is on Predator, uh, one of the shots that I did, which was in the trailer, is a, a guy who gets pulled up into a tree. Um, he's pulled up in the tree, he's a soldier, something catches him by his ankle, and so he's flying up backwards and he's flailing around. And so I was given that shot, and I was like, okay, I, ha I have to film reference for this because it's not like I can just go into YouTube and search, like, guy getting pulled up upside down into a tree. So I have to, to figure out what that looks like. And so me and one of my coworkers, we go to um, one part of the studio where there's, like, a couch, and we set up the camera, and I'm going to hang upside down on the couch, and she's going to hold on to my ankle so I don't fall, and I'm going to film myself upside down, like, flailing around. And so we went to, like, the, the corner of the studio because it's like, okay, we're not going to bother anyone because when you're selling reference, like, you often have to do weird things. So, like, you don't want to have a lot of people, like, foot traffic kind of deal. So I'm, I'm doing that, and I apparently happened to do it right when the department manager was giving a tour to someone. Oh, I no. Still don't know, I don't know to this day who it is. Um, so I could have been working with them for this entire time and have no idea. But I am upside down, flailing around, and I just hear the department manager go, and as you can see, our animators film their own reference, and I just kind of, like, turn around, wave, and then continue, like, filling my arms, because, like, I need to get the shot. <laughs> but uh, that's why I like animation, just because there's, there's so much stuff that goes into it that people don't really expect, and yes, there is a lot of, of sitting at your computer, but there's also a lot of getting up and acting or, or searching for things. Uh, I mean, like working on Doolittle, there were so many animals, so you have to look up reference of these animals, and so I got paid to, like, look for videos of, of uh, polar bears doing stuff, or, or of monkeys doing things, and, and it was cool, because, like, I got to, to find some really interesting clips, and then I had to figure out, okay, like, is this what we're looking for, and how to animate them, so there's a lot that goes into it, uh, and, and even with the, the marketing stuff for, for Sonic, so when I say marketing, like, I, it's, I didn't come up with, like, oh, this is going to be, like, the tagline for the trailer. It's whatever is known as marketing in the animation world is, like, stuff that you're going to see that is, like, for commercials or for trailers that isn't part of the film itself. So oh, okay. In the case of, yeah, so in the case of Sonic, um, there was a, a whole marketing plan that they did. Uh, where it's Sonic is giving interviews. So that way they could have in each different country a interviewer from like a different uh, like TV station can interview, air quote, Sonic, and he'll respond. And so obviously um, it's all the same questions because clearly we animated him one way. So like he's not actually there. Spoiler alert, uh, Sonic is it was a, not a real character. It's like the magic <laughs> drawing board. It's like the drawing board. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly, yes. So um, so I worked on that interview, 
um, sequence. And so it was fun because, like, we had to film footage of us acting like Sonic the Hedgehog and, and how would Sonic sit in an interview chair and, and give an interview. So it was a lot of fun wow. uh, of, of filming that kind of stuff. So that's what I did on that one specifically. We worked on the, uh, the, the commercial stuff uh, with him doing the interviews, which was so much fun. Well, I never knew in a million years that you would have uh, had to do your own references. I thought they had actors for all that. That that does yeah. get you out of your chair and get the blood going, though. And, you know, let me go back and try that again or try a different angle or something, you know. That's kind of neat. Exactly, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's great because it, it gets you up. Um, also, sometimes it's fun because, like, if you're working on something and you're just getting a little bit frustrated, you can always be like, hey, look, I'm taking a break. Does anyone need to film anything let's go film some reference uh so yeah like with doolittle there are uh there are some clips that i specifically will always be in my mind because i film the reference for my friend um so like there's a shot where one of the gorillas uh one of the girls the only girl when the gorilla like faints uh backwards and i was the acting for him (laughs) that was you so it makes Exactly, and so it's actually, it's really fun because um, one thing that we realized that I still don't know how this happened, when we were looking at the footage of me fainting, there's like one moment where like my eyes are looking different directions and I don't know how I did that, and so my friend who animated the shot, he had the gorilla do that, so it's like, it's cool because that's a small detail that like no one is going to notice, but like now whenever I watch that scene, I'm going like, that's my eyes, like I I know why he looks like that, so... (laughs) So when you watch when you watch other things that have been animated by other studios or just movies in general, do you see flaws now, like gleamingly obvious? Are I, mean, you... it, I, I don't want to necessarily say like I'm seeing flaws because obviously like everyone who's working on these films, they're they're professional, they know what they're they're doing. But like it's definitely it's like when you work in whatever field you're working in, you're definitely more aware of stuff, and okay. so maybe not necessarily flaws, but, like, I'm actually more aware of, like, really cool, subtle things that different animators are doing that most people wouldn't notice. Like, I I get excited because I go, oh, my God, look at how those fingers are moving, where everyone else is watching the film and they go, why why are you looking at his fingers? He's, like, punching a guy and he's, like, yelling at him. But I'm like, oh, but, like, look at those. So you definitely have uh, a bigger appreciation. I think the the best way to, to compare it is like, you know how sometimes when you see a magician perform and you can tell who in the room is a magician because they react to different things than the, the lay people? Right. They go, oh, like, oh, that, like, they start nodding and like approving because like he did a really difficult fight that doesn't look like he did anything. And to lay people, he didn't, they didn't see anything, which is the point. That's kind of the same thing. So like when you see magicians who are always just like, oh, wow, like reacting to stuff that your normal audience wouldn't react that's me when I go see a movie. I'm looking at like, oh my god, look at how that hair is moving, and look at the skin on that character. That's the stuff that I I look at and I I appreciate, and I'm more aware of uh, than I was before. So, all right, we have done one hour. I just need to pause this real quick, and we're gonna come back in a second. All right, talking about details and references and bringing everything back. Uh, did you check out the new Snyder cut yet? I did, yes. I, I, I watched it the other day. Um, I was excited just because obviously I love all things superheroes, so I definitely wanted to, to see it. And working in film, it is very interesting to, to see what they did. 
um, just because I can't really think of an example where they worked on a movie and then they re-released the same movie but different. Because, like, obviously you, you have, like, the, the special editions of Star Wars and, like, and they've done, like, updated versions of films before, but I, I can't think of any example where they're like, okay, we're not going to give you the exact same film, we're going to give you a different film kind of experience. So it, it was definitely, it was really cool watching it. Um, for me, like I said, it sort of goes back to, to Shazam. I feel like the, the reason I love the the DC comics is I love the characters, I love the stories, and I feel like as a whole, the films have been darker, which is definitely a, a specific style that they were going for. But like to me, like I like the Dark Knight films, uh, but like those Dark Knight films aren't Batman to me because I, I have a very different uh, experience with them. And, and same thing with the Superman films. Like I, the visually, the Man of Steel uh, is, is very cool, and obviously the the Snyder Cut visually, I think it was great. But like to me, they aren't those characters uh, the way that I I used to them. Actually, the the one uh, that I think right now is the closest to to Superman um, is the new Superman and Lois show. I feel like uh, Tyler, uh, I can't remember the actor's last name, I feel horrible, uh, it's something with an H, but he is, in my opinion, probably the, the best like live-action Superman that we've had in a while. Like I, I love the Christopher Reeves one. I, I think I may even push this just above Christopher Reeves. Uh, yeah, it, oh my I, gosh. I know, I know. That, those, those, those are big words for me to say that. Uh, but yeah, for me, he, he feels like Superman because like I got into the comics and actually the the show that I watched that got me really interested in comics even more was the old Bruce Tim Justice League of America show he had the Justice League and then they did Justice League Unlimited and that's really got me like more into the comics was that the cartoon it was the cartoon yeah okay okay I, I I used that cartoon almost as a standard to how I like think these characters are supposed to be portrayed because I obviously with it being a cartoon they can do so much more that like you couldn't do in real life. Um, and I felt like in the cartoons resonated with me more the way that the comics do than some of the the films. So that's why I've really been enjoying the the new show because to me I'm getting those same feelings that I did when I used to watch uh, the cartoon. And even though I love watching things like the Snyder Cut and, and Man of Steel and, and all that for, from a visual perspective, from a character perspective, it's been very different to me. And so that's why I'm, I'm glad that, that we're, we're starting to get uh, characters the way that I've been seeing them, in my head at least. Dude, I'm such a Superman fan. I'm so just, I feel like I'm in a hole right now. I feel like I'm in quarantine. I tried to down. I tried to download and put on my DVR the new uh, Superman and uh, Superman and Lois is the name of it, right? Yes, yes, Superman and Lois. It started recording episode three, and I'm like, I can't start on episode three, and it's killing me. And I then definitely can't. There's so much in the first episode, and we don't have HBO. We don't have HBO Max, and I haven't seen the Snyder Cut, but I'm I'm dying. I'm 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 watching all these people on YouTube talk about it, and you know, I just heard something today. I watched a 10 minute video on. Uh, the Joker had a line that became a meme, but they took it out of the movie, but it was in the trailer. I watched a whole 10-minute episode just about one line that got taken out. I'm like, I can't wait to see exactly. it. <laughs> Golly. Well, at least with Superman, I, 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 I
Superman and Lois, I'm pretty sure, like, don't, don't quote, I mean, I guess you have to quote because you're, you're recording this, but I'm pretty sure the, the first two episodes are on, like, the CW's website. And then, I guess with the Snyder Cut, you, you just have to find a friend. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Max, so you can watch it. Golly. I'm going to I had to do. I'm going to have to just knock on doors. Just start driving my carpet down the road, knocking on doors. Exactly. I, I had to find a friend who had to watch it myself. So. <laughs> All right. So did so the Snyder Cut? Did it compare to uh, Endgame? I mean, it's four hours. Like I said, it's darker. It's four hours. Yeah. I, I mean, like I said, for me, I, as much as I am a diehard DC fan, when it comes to the films, Marvel still has been has been better. I, I, I think the Snyder Cut was definitely leaps and bounds better than the original Justice League film that they put out. So I'm I'm very glad that we were able to see the original vision for it. But if I had to choose between watching the Snyder Cut and Endgame, I'm, I'm going to have to go with Endgame. Oh, so man. I, I, I feel dirty saying that because I'm such a DC guy. But yeah, still. Like, see, I'm the one that... I'm the one that... I'm the one that'll watch it over and over and over, just waiting for it to get better. <laughs> I've been doing it with Superman my whole life, so why not? <laughs> well, hopefully, like I said, hopefully Superman and Lois will be like, hey, I'm, I'm going to watch this over and over again, not because I want it to become better, but because I'm enjoying it more every single time because it's already a great portrayal of the character. I, I can't I wait. Mean, I, I can't wait. I don't work on the show, by the way, so clearly this is my unbiased actual opinion. My palms <laughs> so are sweating really... over here. I'm so excited to start watching them. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm watching this week's episode as soon as we finish this podcast. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you're making props now. Your most recent, I guess, Facebook or something was showing your your helmets you're making, or do you have a 3D printer? You're making stuff now. Yeah, so I, I don't have a 3D printer. I, I wish I did. I, I live in a very tiny apartment, uh, so there would be no room for me to, to have a 3D printer. I'd have to print a bigger apartment uh, for that to fit. But I, I've always loved props. I mean, like I said, like I've wanted to be an animator since I was five years old. I'm clearly, from us talking, you can tell I'm very much a, a movie fan, TV show fan. So like I've always found props interesting. I've always wanted to, to make them, and, like, I've tried doing some sort of, like, smaller props throughout the years. Like, uh, I'm, a, I'm a big Dr. Who fan, um, and so I made his, he has a thing called Psychic Paper, and I remember making that in, like, college. Um, but I, I've always wanted to, like, one of my dreams has been to join the 501st, which is the Star Wars costuming group. Um, All right, you uh, got, it was like you spoke in French there just now. What was that? <laughs> It is the 501st Legion. Okay. Um, so in Star Wars, the, 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 the reason this name came to be is Darth Vader's personal region of, uh, Legion of Stormtroopers was the 501st. And so it is a massive, if not the biggest, uh, costume club in the world where people wow. create these costumes that are incredibly, incredibly accurate. Like they have very strict guidelines. Um, they're the ones that, like, whenever you go to like a convention and you see all the stormtroopers who are like marching around taking pictures like that's them and i've always wanted to join them and then there's also some other costuming clubs as well because the 501st is specifically like all the imperials and all the clone troopers and stuff whereas there's like the rebel legion who's doing all of like the good guys and, and then you have the mandalorian books who are doing like the mandalorian so I've, I've always loved that i've always wanted to join one and i i've 
wanted to, to make my own helmet for years, and I've kind of always been, like, a little bit nervous, and then I figured with the, the quarantine going on, I may as well finally give it a try. Um, and the new season of Mandalorian was coming out, so I was like, oh, I really want to make this helmet. So I, I did some searching. I found a, a pretty decent-looking helmet on Amazon that was, like, made out of PVC, um, and so I got that, and, and I, I completely replaced the visor. I... I built up some stuff uh, on the ears that was missing. I then completely uh, painted it and, and weathered it and, and clear-coated it and, and made it to, to what it looked like. And then I had so much fun doing that. I also did his blaster as well. Uh, so they sold – there's a company called Rubies that okay, makes yeah. like, like costume props. And uh -huh. so they made a costume uh, version of his blaster that the details were really great, but obviously it's this bright – white and orange piece of plastic so i got that and i i drilled it out and i filled it up with some weight so it actually feels like legit and then i, I uh like sanded and and filled in all the seams so it's one solid looking piece and painted it and weathered it and i, I had so much fun doing that so I, I definitely want to to do some more uh similar things in the future but this was really like the first time i actually like really tried to do something and I, I was very happy with how it turned out because like I mean I I feel like anyone who's a creative like they're definitely a perfectionist like you see like the flaws and I was very happy with how this turned out because yes there are some things I, I wish I had done differently but like as a whole I'm like this is this is cool I'm, I'm happy with this I, I I can look at this on my shelf and smile and not be like oh I could have done better so I, I just I just don't understand. I mean, I know I have young kids in the house and everything, but you got you got magic and you're very creative and you're coming out with new projects and then you have a real job and you're working really hard long hours there. Then you're coming home making props and watching more TV than anybody I know. Do you sleep? Do you ever sleep? Also doesn't hurt that I'm uh, single and in the middle of a pandemic, so it's not like I'm, <laughs> okay. I'm going out and doing a lot of things. So. <laughs> wow. Well, dude, exactly. this was this was this was awesome. Thank you for doing this with me tonight. I, I appreciate it. Um, of course, I, I had a blast. I, I've I've been wanting to to ask you all about the this movie stuff and. Like I said, when I found out that you were going, I, I mourned. And then I, in my head, I thought you went to work for Marvel because you're working on all these things. And then you're working on all these different movies. Then you worked on a DC movie. I'm like, no, he's not Marvel. I didn't know NPC. <laughs> but, dude, it is pretty daggone awesome. I, I'm, I'm proud of you. And I'm, I'm glad that you're my friend. And I'm glad that you're – all I want people to do, man, is, is do what they love. And you're doing what you love and you're, you're having fun, man. That's what it's all about. I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, yeah, honestly, I'm I'm really happy. I know that like right now it is a tough time for for a lot of people. Um, so I am very grateful that I, I am still able to to do what I enjoy and uh, that I get to do it every day. So, and I, I think that's why I, I I got sad when you were leaving Magic to go do a real. I thought you were leaving Magic to do a real job because I thought you were leaving what you love and settling. You know, so it was totally it got flipped on its ear. So. Yeah. I'm proud of you, man. I'm proud of you. Thank you. I, and I'm, I appreciate it. Thank I'm telling you, you every, time, every time one of your movies pops up on, on a TV or you know, in conversation, I'm like, I got a friend that worked on that movie. You know? So you're my, you're my end to being cool. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you so much. I appreciate it. <laughs> um, 
Guys, you can check him out at uh, his website is justjoshingmagic.com. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. It's all justjoshingmagic.com. IMDb, IMDb is Josh Janowski. Or you can find that link on justjoshing.com. And uh, Josh, thank you so much for everything, man. I appreciate it. This was awesome. Thank you so much. No, I, I had a blast. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you asked me to be on here. I, I had so much fun. And I'm going to call you after I watch uh, Superman and Lois and we'll compare notes. Perfect. Sounds good. All right. Hold on real tight. I got to do some plugs real quick and we'll wrap everything up. All right. Sounds good. Tonight on Jewel TV, they're airing episode four of season two called Homeschool Gym Class. Jewel TV is on Roku, Amazon Prime, Amazon Fire, Apple TV. The Jewel TV lap and tons of other places. It's in over 100 million households. All you have to do is look for it. You'll find it. And on April 17th at 630, we'll be performing at Goochland County Parks and Recs. For tickets, go to goochlandva.us. This will be live and in person, and all COVID regulations will be observed. See you next week. Today's episode of the podcast is sponsored by Express Copy and Graphics. Mention promo code Wes Isley to get 10% off. Their website is expresscopy.com. That's X-P-R-E-S-S-C-O-P-Y.com. They do it all. Copies, banners, signs, vehicle wraps, promo items, practically anything you need printed, they can do it for you. These guys are great. Check them out. Check us out online at wesisley.com and patreon.com forward slash Wes underscore Isley for behind-the-scenes videos, blooper videos, never-before-seen footage, discounts on merchandise, magic trick tutorials, and more. That's Wes Isley spelled W-E-S-I-S-E-L-I.